millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 35, we discuss Fox's coverage of the Gold Cup, uh, the details about NBC's opening weeks of the Premier League schedule, news about NBC working with one of the top clubs in Liga MX, and much, much more. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, uh... You're in Tampa. You, you just watched uh, the game last night, uh, the U.S. Martinique game. And uh, where are you now? Yeah, I'm still in Tampa. I'm across the street from the USL headquarters. Uh, Going to have some meetings with a couple of those folks at lunchtime. Uh, and then heading to Orlando for the Orlando City B versus Tampa Bay Rowdies USL game. Uh, also, Nicaragua, Panama last night here in Tampa. So yep. uh, big weekend of uh, football, big week of football here in the state of Florida. Uh, Miami, Cincinnati rained out yesterday in the U.S. Open Cup. And uh, been busy traveling the state covering NPSL games. That season ends this week. That uh, uh, I call it domestic, uh, localized season. We go to the national tournament uh, next week, but uh, the Florida division wraps up on Saturday. Out of curiosity, uh, while you were in Tampa for the game, the U.S. game, did you run into any um, any talents, any commentators, any from Fox or Univision or any of the other broadcasters? Oh, yeah. I mean, I spent some time with Nico Contour, who's a mate of mine, who I'm a big fan of, does great, great work. Uh, his style is very is actually, I wouldn't say very different. That was the wrong uh, initial word than his father's, but diff- uh, more anglicized than his father's, uh, but also a lot of the good Latinized aspect of his father's presentation he's got in his. Uh, in his repertoire. You might want to read, read the interview with those of you out there uh, that Oliver stated with him on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, I got to spend about 15, 20 minutes with Nico catching up, talking about um, Liga MX season about to fire back up for him with the Facebook Live uh, work and Univision work. Same thing with Major League Soccer. Uh, they'll be back from break in, in a week, I believe, a week from tomorrow. And um, also saw Stu Holden uh, briefly for a minute. I actually sat for about five minutes with Cello Balboa. He was up for uh, Univision also uh, talking about um, the U.S. player pool more with Cello than anything. And um, saw John Strong walking, didn't get to say hello to him. Uh, did not see Landon Donovan, but I'm sure he was nearby uh, somewhere in the same press area I was. Sure. Well, I know it's been a crazy week for you, Kartik, this past week. Um, in terms of any football you had a chance to watch uh, on television or online? Yes, just the first half of... Uh, Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, USL last week uh, from Al Lang Stadium right across the bay from where I sit now. Um, it was Mike Watson, Kate McGrath. Uh, they were fine. And then there was a, a massive lightning delay, as we often have in Tampa, St. Peter area during the summer. Um, one quick note, I really wish, I know ESPN and USL are trying to push their talent. I, I might address this when I meet with USL official in, uh, in an hour. Uh, Mike Pepper and Lee Godfrey who normally do the rowdy schemes, are, to me, one of the best teams. And when they were at NASL, and I worked in NASL, they were one of the best teams. Uh, Mike has done rowdy schemes forever. Uh, Lee and Tampa Bay soccer forever. Lee, of course, former Bull TV, used to do Toronto FC things. Um, I, I wish they had used those two guys on that broadcast. Maybe that's me being partial to guys I'm friendly with and to people here in the state of Florida that I've worked with. Um, but that was um, something I was... Uh, and I love Kate McGrath, but... Uh, I would have liked to have had those two guys on the national broadcast. Mm-hmm. And Lee, of course, has done national stuff with Gold TV Canada for years. 
Yeah, and it just goes to show, too, in terms of uh, how bad the weather is in South Florida, or actually in, in all of Florida yeah, uh, during yeah. this time of the year. Yeah, during the, the summer, right. During this the summer. Is, yeah, this the is typical. Sinsta- last, night, last night, we had an issue with weather here in Tampa. Uh, this Tampa-Cincinnati game last week, uh, three-hour delay, and then Cincinnati-Miami last night, yeah. U.S. Open Cup scrum. Uh, and I don't know about the Orlando game tonight. As I said, I'm heading over there. I'm expecting a delay. I'm expecting I might have to uh, uh, head back to South Florida without seeing the entire match. That's the way it goes. Yeah, we were very lucky summer. that uh, the U.S. game actually played because it could have easily been a, a monsoon like it was in South Florida. Last Everybody night. was asking in the press box, what um, what is the contingency? And the official line was, we will play the game tonight somehow. But the expectation was there would be some sort of delay, and there wasn't for yeah. whatever reason. The, the the thunder, the lightning storm stayed just south of us, but you could see them in the distance from the stadium. So in terms of what I've been watching this past week, I've watched a whole bunch of different things, mostly Gold Cup, but uh, I did watch uh, Bayern Munich had a uh, Facebook Live of one of their friendlies. It was against uh, Wolf Ratzhausen. It was, uh, I think, a, a German, I think, fourth division club. Um, I watched it on Facebook Live. The picture quality was surprisingly good. They played uh, two minute, uh, two thirty-minute halves, which was interesting, uh, and it was played in a really quaint stadium with uh, with no, no no seating at all. So it was kind of nice to watch um, Bayern Munich's first game, first preseason game of the season, and that was uh, broadcast live from FC Bayern TV, which is their official. TV channel. I remember Bayern uh, won that game uh, 4-0, but uh, it was nice to see um, a lot of younger players and actually a lot of players, even uh, Thomas Muller and others, uh, just smiling, having a good time and uh, getting ready for a new season, which will be here before you know it. Now, as as far as the Gold Cup, Kartik, I know you haven't had a chance to watch much of the coverage. Um, It's overall my two cents about the Gold Cup coverage from Fox thus far has been... uh, it's a lack of consistency from what we've uh, saw in the Confederation, Confederations Cup. So last week's show, we were raving about how well Fox did with the Confed Cup. And uh, the level of production and then the studio analysis is now back to what we've, we've been used to being seeing uh, before the Confed Cup, which was kind of the, your, your Champions League level, your MLS level, which was okay, but nothing uh, on the level of what we've, we've seen from... Um, David Neal, who's the executive producer, uh, who's been working on the Confed Cup and also is going to be working on the World Cup. Uh, one interesting thing was that uh, for last night's game, the U.S. Martinique game, uh, there were a couple of well-produced segments there, um, and they had one on uh, uh, David Regie and uh, an interview with him about uh, Martinique and, and playing for the U.S. Uh, in the 98 World Cup. That was good. And uh, also there was a, uh, a well-produced segment. Uh, Alexi Lalas has this new thing now, which is power rankings, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but it's well-produced and actually looks at, uh, uh, for both the games that the U.S. has had thus far, which players are exceeding expectations and which are lower than expectations and which were kind of just neutral in terms of evaluating these players and seeing whether or not... And, and what expectations are these based on? Because the way uh, a lot of these guys at Fox operate, if a guy plays in MLS, the expectations are off the charts. Um, if a guy happens to play in Europe, they're skeptical of them. Yeah, it's to me. It's uh, it seems to be more so in terms of are these players ready for uh, to make it into the World Cup squad? That's kind of the the measuring stick that's being used. And I, I would say I've got um, from my perspective watching uh, the U.S. in this tournament, watching them in person yesterday. I would I would say only two guys, which are uh, Acosta and uh, Dom Dwyer. Dom, who we knew would be once he got American citizenship, would be a core player. And then I think Kellen Acosta certainly is working his way into uh, where he could be that kind of combination, Michael Bradley, Claudio Arena, John O'Brien type player that the U.S. has lacked for 10 years. Um, well, it's interesting, other than it's that, interesting you I say that, Kartik. Sure. It's interesting you say that because you have not watched the, the broadcast. So from the U.S.-Panama game, he picked out two players from that uh, team. Uh, and then from uh, the U.S.-Martinique game, he picked out two players also. So from the first game against Panama, that was uh, Brad Guzan and uh, Dom Dwyer. And then last night's game against Martinique, that was uh, Acosta and uh, Jordan Morris. Uh, now, th- my issue I have with this, though, well, too... Well, first of all, I'm gonna, I think more, either Morris or Dwyer is not going to go So um, to Russia, I'm, I'm talking about. So, I, I mean, they both, they're in competition with one another. And I think you have to evaluate 
them versus each other very much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but I mean, I mean, to me, Jordan Morris is a better striker than uh, Jesse Zard is. Um, but but then but right. But, but then yeah. But I, I don't want to get too much into kind of uh, selection. But but I, I do want to say that um, the the way that it's set up, where Lalas does his power rankings and looks at the players and says, okay, these two. Are, uh, are good enough to be in in the uh, the World Cup squad. The issue I have with it is that it focuses on the positive. There's no critical analysis about the other nine players on the pitch. They're absolutely terrible, uh, yeah. even, whether they're out of position or, or just not up to the standards. So by f- by doing this, it kind of focuses on what what are the the two kind of uh, shining Was there, examples. Let me ask you about the broadcast last night. Omar Gonzalez got a goal, and American broadcasters are often skewed by who scores goals. But I can tell you the guy, from my perspective, being at the game, watching his movement, had a shocker of a game other than that. Was consistently out of position, was um, creating problems for the left fullback um, uh, and for and for uh, his, his uh, center uh, back partner, uh, Matt Hedges, who I thought was pretty good. Um, and Brad Guzan made a mistake. I know the obvious basic piece of analysis you might have heard from the analyst last night was that Guzan made a mistake on the second goal. The mistake was actually made by by uh, um, Gonzalez in how he read the play. And Guzan was wrong-footed because he had trusted a central defender to close down that space. So I, I'm wondering how the analysis is of players like um, Gonzalez, who are core national team players, are guys who have never played in Europe. You know, ML, he, he went to Nuremberg for, uh, on loan and got hurt. But, you know, kind of a core guy who we've always heard positive things about because he scores goals, he's good in the air. Um, But the thing is, this is the problem with Fox, I think, when it comes to the U.S., is that we never get the the critiques of those sorts of players. We will get the critiques of the guys playing in Germany or back in the day of a Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey if they didn't perform because they were elevated. But if it's a core U.S. player who consistently gets selected— based on whatever reputation he has. And Gonzalez now somehow stayed in the team with both Klinsman and uh, Arena. You know, they're guys that were favorites of Klinsman, like uh, like Zardis and like Kyle Beckerman, who aren't favorites of Arena and vice versa. Um, this is a big problem I've had with Fox. So I'm curious about that player specifically, if there was anything said. Uh, I, I can't remember anything. I mean, maybe Winalda says something in the commentary of the game, but um, Winalda wasn't that critical as he can be at times uh, during the match. I mean, it's hard when it's in fluid motion. Post-match, no. Post-match, to give you an example, Kartik, right at the, the final whistle, uh, Rob Stone came in and said, OK, here we go. Uh, Bruce Arena now is undefeated in 10 matches since taking over as coach. So, I mean, I mean, everything's positive, everything's rosy there. And then Lalas going into the power rankings and uh, looking at uh, Jordan Morris and Acosta, both of who, who played well. Then from there, Ali Wagner stepped in and con- continued her praise of Jordan Morris. So it was positive, positive, positive. Uh, and then Fernando Fiore probably was the only one that really uh, said, was, I have mixed emotions, you mean, in terms of uh, the, the playing level wasn't the greatest, but uh, it is what They're it is. They're playing amateur players. They're playing largely amateur players. Yeah, and they yeah. they conceded two goals, could have conceded three or four. Um, Guzan actually made some nice saves, and there were some nice recovery runs from, like, Eric Lehigh. Uh, at the fullback position because Gonzalez was out of position, uh, because there were times when the midfield had collapsed. I think uh, a, a move arena made that was nice was bring Dax McCarthy in the game. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm glad I'm not watching this tournament on Fox. I guess I'm going to have to. I'm not going to any more Gold Cup games after this. So um, maybe I'll watch on Univision. But, but, but to me, I mean, this is where you're missing Waldo. This is where you're missing Eric Winalda. I mean, I can't think of too many other people that could step in. Being that studio set up, that could give some really uh, critical analysis and say, OK, here's where the U.S. is underachieving. Or here's where that uh, here's some issues that we have with the system. Even though this is like, what, essentially a C team, we're getting to see kind of the depth or lack of depth in this squad. Uh, from the television broadcast perspective, we did not get that critical analysis. I'm not sure it's as much a C team as Germany could to the Confederations Cup because there are a, a, a fair number of guys with a, a decent number of caps on this U.S. team playing in this Gold Cup, probably more than that were on the German team in the Confederations Cup. More guys that have been called regularly. Zardes was a starter last year in the Copa America. You've got Busan, who has been a starter at major times and started the qualifier in Mexico. Uh, Gonzalez, who started the World Cup game against Germany in the group stage last night. Uh, I don't buy that this is a C team. I buy, I think this is like an A-minus, B-plus team 
and the U.S. is underperforming. But I, this is, again, Chris, I mean, I'm not trying to get into the whole football aspect of it, and I'm, I'm fired up because I was at the game and saw it firsthand and, and trying to cover it as a proper journalist, not a U.S. cheerleader. Um, this is why some of us are going to watch Telemundo next summer. That's why some of us are going to come back home for the rest of this tournament and probably watch Univision. It's just, I, I mean, there's a level of analysis that's required even if it's if you're close to the players and it's your your home country that is required as a proper objective analyst of this sport and a journalist. One of the things, Kartik, we should uh, discuss in the future, I don't think in this show, but maybe in a future uh, segment, kind of a, a future, future topic of the week, is whether or not critical analysis actually hurts viewership. Because, I mean, that's that, I think that's what Fox is thinking. Fox is thinking, okay, if we have Ronaldo well, that's on, possible. That's, that, possible. That, that's going to get people kind of really kind of, um, no, not, not to, disillusioned is probably a, bad, a best word, with the U.S. squad and may not be that interested in turning back uh, for you know, the game against Nicaragua because, I mean, this U.S. team is, is not as good as we think it is, or uh, many people think it is. So maybe that's we can talk about that more in depth in, in a future topic. But um, I, I think um, that's a good point, and we should explore that topic because that's not Fox's fault. That's the fault of I think a lot of casual fans who maybe not be, not are as, are not as sophisticated about the sport as we are. Or even the guys on Fox, Lawless, what he wants to be is very sophisticated about how he analyzes the sport and, and consumes the sport. Maybe that that might be it, Chris. You might be onto something. That that's a good topic for the future. So just going back, I mean, I watched a bunch of other games too, but uh, I'm not going to go through every single one of them. But the the U.S.-Panama game, um, the pre-match on this one, uh, Fernando Fiore uh, provided, like, no value. He pulled out a T-shirt um, that had, um, and it had on the T-shirt, it said, uh, 2011 Gold Cup Champs USA. Uh, but then no one, including Fiore, provided context on why that was uh, a, mis- a misprint, uh, what, the t- what the topic of discussion was there. For you, Kartik, I'm sure you know. In terms well, of- they were up 2-0 in the finals and right. uh, had started printing the shirts and the paraphernalia, and Mexico came back and scored four times. Right, um, won 4-2. To, to beat them 4-2, right. That, that was... Um, that was an unfortunate game, and it, um, but that was the last time I remember a high-level Gold Cup game with both eight teams playing. It was still an enjoyable game, but it's funny that uh, uh, did they? Uh, I mean, did they correct the, the the thing? Well, no, they didn't explain it. They, he just pulled out the shirt and said, "Like, look at this," and then kind of Rob Stone kind of laughed and Fiore laughed, and then but they didn't explain as you did right then, which I totally forgot about. I didn't. Uh, I, I forgot that the U.S. went ahead 2-0. I know they lost 4-2 in that final. But it's kind of, one of again, n- another one of those puzzling things that you would think, that, okay, bring out the T-shirt, but then explain what the context is, especially for viewers that didn't see that match in 2011 or for those of them, like myself, who, who forgot about that final. Um, but So strange things like that. The other thing, too, at halftime, uh, Fernando Fiore was singing, row, row, row your boat during the highlights uh, that inc- included Kellen uh, uh, Rowe. Rowe. But come on. I mean, I don't know. Just, it's just kind of child's play. Um, that was after the first game, though, right? That was after that was the... Halftime, halftime of USA-Panama. Yeah. But, uh, but actually, Landon Donovan and Stuart Holden together with John Strong are growing on me. Uh, I still think it's better to kind of have the duo rather than, than the trio. But that was better. Um, but overall, I mean, no surprises, uh, unfortunately, with Fox. Actually, one, one, there was one surprise, and that was the Mexico-El Salvador game. And that was Giles Barnes, um, who was on the, on the set. And uh, he was pretty good. I mean, the, uh, the MLS player. And uh, so a good start for him, and maybe he'll come back in the future. Former Darby County uh, Academy product. Exa- exactly, exactly. And... Uh, and then also the Mexico-El uh, Salvador game, it was uh, JP I, and Brad Fader commentating. I have to give you this little bit of feedback because obviously I'm, I'm at the game uh, in Tampa last night and I'm getting uh, tweets from people uh, asking about the game and, and et cetera and watching it on Fox and telling me, uh, look, uh, we agree with you. John Strong is incredible, but we think he carries his, common, his co-commentators. We don't think they're very good. And I had a, multiple tweets to that extent. So... Um, again, I, and you and I have said this on previous shows, uh, everybody tends to do well with John Strong because he's the best in the business as, as far as Americans go. Mm-hmm. Um, 
American voices. So um, maybe it's tough to analyze Donovan and Holden. I think Donovan was quite good with JP last summer. So yeah. um, Holden would be the one you would have the question marks about if he were paired with someone else. And, I, and actually, Holden's getting better. So um, the, the issue I have it with it more so is if you have three people. So by having three people, you're diluting Landon Donovan's impact because he's not able to talk as much because Stuart Holden's also talking at different points in the game. So if you had JP paired with Landon, I think to me that's that's the dream team for from from that perspective as far as chemistry and also getting the most out of Landon Donovan and Stuart Holden is improving and I think him paired with uh, JP I think is a fine setup I have no no issues with it uh, it just having the three of them it's just I don't know you, you're, you're missing something and especially with Russia being such a big tournament next next summer such a long tournament uh, it's kind of wasting. I mean, a piece of talent that you could have paired up with somebody else uh, rather than having all three of them together in, in the same booth. I get the sense there might be a trend moving towards three-man booths in general, Chris. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, in fact, we talked, um, uh, Nico Cantor and I talked uh, last night about uh, how, how good uh, Arlo White is at directing traffic. Yeah. And, and pronouncing names. And, and uh, I instantly thought about the three-man booth in... Um, because Nico has picked up some of those tendencies. He picks up a lot from his father. Uh, he picks up stuff from, from knowing and watching Arlo White. Um, and I was thinking about Arlo White now having to direct traffic when he's got Dixon and Lasso together. Yeah. And Strong is now very much in that position. And there just seems to be that trend towards kind of packing the booth with uh, three people, uh, three, uh, three men and women, and then sticking someone on the sidelines also to give um, further analysis. We used to have just traditional sideline reporters now with the likes of someone like a Julie Stewart thing, she gives some analysis as well and some reporting. Mm -hmm. So you basically have four people working a broadcast in many cases. I just don't see the value in having the three versus the two. I mean, I mean, to me, I haven't seen any trios that have been like, wow, this is so much better than having uh, a duo. Uh, and even with Graham Lasso, Lee Dixon and Arlo White, I'd much prefer to have Arlo White and Lee Dixon together. And then also, I mean, Graham Lasso and, and uh, Arlo White for other games. Having the three of them together sometimes is interesting if it's a Chelsea-Arsenal uh, game where there's a bit of banter back and forth, uh, especially with kind of a former Chelsea and a former Arsenal player. But other than that, I just don't see the value as much. It's nice to have them there, but it's not really enhancing the, the broadcast or, or, the, or the actual match itself. So, Kartik, let's, let's move on. If you're interested in going to see Real Madrid against Barcelona in El Clasico Miami, listen up. 11 Miami, which is South Florida's premier nightlife destination and only 24-7 Ultra Club, is giving away a pair of VIP tickets to El Clasico Real Madrid versus FC Barcelona game on Saturday, July 29th at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. To enter, visit 11miami.com slash Classico for the chance to win premium VIP seats that include food and beverage during the game. You can also win two tickets for the PSG versus Juventus game on July 26 and VIP bottle service at Eleven's rooftop viewing party on July 29th to watch Real Madrid versus Barcelona on a 16-foot LED screen. So enter now at 11miami.com slash Classico for the chance to see Real Madrid versus FC Barcelona live in person at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami July 29th courtesy of 11 Miami. And um, let's move on to TV streaming news. What's first yeah. on the deck? Yeah, so uh, a lot going on this week. Uh, Facebook and Twitter are said to be seeking World Cup clips from Fox uh, for next year. They're bidding to play millions to pay Fox for the exclusive rights to distribute highlights from the 2018 World Cup. Now, I think this will probably uh, net Fox a lot of uh, return on their World Cup investment because I, I don't want... I'm guessing... Uh, at Twitter HQ and at Facebook HQ, neither wants to lose to the other one. They are in a intense competition for live sports and sports bumper uh, highlights. It's kind of the next uh, phase of their online experiences for those two uh, leading social media sites. So uh, this could be quite an exciting bidding war to follow. Uh, in the next few weeks. Yeah, and this one, again, they're, they're talking about millions of dollars here. I'm not a big fan of this one, Kartik. Reason being is that I think it actually minimizes the amount of distribution this is going to ha ha uh, happen to World Cup rights, uh, World Cup highlights. So, for example, going back to the last World Cup, we, you saw highlights on ESPN, 
FC.com. You saw it on Facebook. You saw it on Twitter. You saw it all across the board. Anywhere you went to, there was World Cup highlights. But having it on one place, even though that, say, Twitter would be paying millions to um, Fox for the rights to show the exclusive World Cup highlights, I mean, goal highlights, etc. Not everyone's on Twitter and not everyone's uh, on that social media. So if you're not on that social media, <coughs> yes, they're hoping that you sign up for Twitter and watch it there, but you're missing out. So Facebook uh, is missing out and other places are missing out on, on actually being able to distribute those uh, World Cup highlights. Moving on, Kartik, uh, the schedule for the opening weeks of the Premier League season has been revealed. The season will kick off on a Friday for the first time with Arsenal against Leicester on Friday, August 11th. And that's going to be a 3 p.m. kickoff um, on, on the East Coast on NBCSN. And now looking at the first six Saturdays of the season... Uh, it's going to have uh, 12.30 Eastern kickoffs on Saturdays. All six are going to be on NBC. So that's a great, great news there. Uh, and I've looked at the Premier League Pass, uh, the, the paid subscription service. And for the first game week, uh, it's going to be three games on Premier League Pass. But then for, for the, um, the next two game weeks, so game week two and game week three, it's an average of uh, four games uh, each weekend. So it's looking like we're going to average probably closer to the four rather than the three, but we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But uh, for the full schedule for the from August 11th through to uh, October 1st, you can get that it's on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com. Yeah, and this next item I'm really excited about. Um, there, uh, we were just talking last night about this in the press box um, because uh, in Tampa, the Gold Cup match, about how there are very few 30 for 30s. Uh, we'd like to see one on an element of the U.S. national team that we discussed, but uh, that there is going to be a 30 for 30, very few 30 for 30s on soccer, on George Best. And everybody seems to be fired up about this. So Georgie Best, uh, the, the, the man, the legend, um, everything, uh, the color, colorful, the fifth Beatle, if you want to call him that, uh, 30 for 30 next week, July 20th, on ESPN, premiering July 20th, Thursday night, uh, from the same director as uh, the Hillsborough documentary. Uh, everybody in the soccer world is looking forward to it, uh, at least in, in this country. And that's going to be on right before the Man City, Man United uh, derby. It's also on Correct. ESPN, so perfect timing there. Uh, more bad news for PlayStation View subscribers, and uh, they've gone ahead and raised the prices and removed the cheapest streaming package. So, so Sony's uh, raised the prices by $10 per month for each of the plans that they have, and they've also gotten rid of all of the, the cheaper, slim plans. So, um, again, unfortunately, there's a lot of people leaving PlayStation View and looking for other uh, streaming solutions, everything from DirecTV Now to Sling TV to, to Fubo TV, and then YouTube TV and Hulu TV. There's so much competition out there, but um, PlayStation View subscribers, it's definitely a, a blow there. Yeah, and this next item... Um will be interesting, I think, for uh, a lot of folks uh, out there listening. Uh, Chivas TV is enhancing streaming capabilities as a result of a, of a partnership with NBC Sports. Playmaker Media, which is owned by NBC Sports Digital, will be powering the new version of the streaming site Chivas.tv, or uh, Chivas TV, excuse me. Uh, fans from around the world, uh, except for uh, in the U.S., will be able to stream games live via the subscription site, which will be built on the backbone of Playmaker Media. For fans in the U.S., uh, audio commentators will be available instead of stream games because of the Chivas rights. Uh, yeah, and it can mean, too, that... Um, so I think Chivas TV has... On the, on the television side, it doesn't change anything at all. Those games will still be on Univision. But I believe it's in a year or two years from now, um, the rights are due for... Uh, renewal, and you never know with Playmaker Media being part of uh, NBC Sports and uh, NBC Sports now having a close relationship with Chivas, T, uh, Chivas the team. Uh, this could mean that maybe ha perhaps Telemundo might get uh, a an in here. Yeah, Telemundo badly wants to get more Mexican in Liga MX rights, so I think that's the long term play. Uh, but you, you, Univision will fight like heck to keep the uh, Chivas rights. You can believe that. Uh, Chivas Guadalajara, uh, one of the the really three uh, marquee teams in Mexico among American fans, along with Cruz Azul and Club America. It's time to give a shout-out to our sponsor, and that's SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. 
SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, it's the time of the year where there's so many soccer friendlies happening throughout the United States and competitions, and I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a, a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I've been using the SeatGeek app in the last, well, actually a couple of months, really, to look for tickets to Swansea's upcoming friendlies against Philadelphia Union, North Carolina FC, and Richmond Kickers. I'm still trying to figure out which game to go to, but I, I, I've got the uh, information at my fingertips. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Now, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Okay, let's move on. All right, next up is TV ratings and uh, some big numbers coming out of uh, the United States this week. Uh, the biggest one thus far is 3.2 million people watched Mexico against El Salvador on Univision and Univision Deportes Network. And that was on Sunday from uh, about 9.15 to 11.15 Eastern time. That same game, so 3.2 million on Univision, uh, that same game on FS1 had 403,000 and so you're looking at 3.6 million people uh, in total that watched that match. Uh, big numbers there. The uh, USA against Panama. So that was on Big Fox on Saturday, last Saturday. And that one had 1.2 million people that watched the game. And then a further 1 million uh, watched it on Univision and Univision Deportes combined. So collectively there too, you've got a, uh, about 2.2 million people that watched that match uh, in the United States. In uh, other numbers, too, um, actually, the, the, the interesting thing on this one, Kartik, was that um, the NWSL had a biggest number, I think, I think the biggest number of the season thus far. 123,000 people watched uh, Washington Spirit against Orlando Pride on Lifetime uh, last Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And that's a big number because in many ways that's bigger than a lot of uh, MLS games that we've seen in previous weeks. And um, the Lifetime numbers continue to go up and up and up. Yeah, and uh, that that's um, encouraging because remember uh, A&E, who's the owner of Lifetime, has actually invested in NWSL. They bought a piece of the league. So that's uh, that's encouraging for a strategic league partner. It's more than just a television partner. It's an actual uh, investment partner. Okay, so let's move on to listener mailbag. And uh, we've got uh, one comment through Twitter this week, and this is from Sunny SoCal Rob 25 He says, the women's Euros will be shown on the ESPN3 app. So far, the final will be the only one on television. Seems like it's not getting that much attention here in the U.S. from male or female soccer fans. It seems with no U.S. Win women's national team, uh, no party, and with... Uh, the next Women's World Cup uh, being uh, staged in Europe. Could this be a foreshadowing? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because when uh, ESPN broadcast, decided to broadcast the Euro 2008 tournament uh, 10 years ago uh, in the U.S., I was very skeptical. Um, you remember this, Chris. You and I disagreed on it pretty vehemently. I, th I thought well, I was very skeptical because the U.S. wasn't in the tournament and England didn't qualify. Uh, I thought, okay, they're betting it because there's a there's a core of England fans that was developing in the U.S. because the Premier League was beginning to get at least in underground circles popular at the time. Now it's a mainstream thing. Ten years later, thanks to NBC, but at the time when it was a Fox Soccer Channel property, there was still an underground following for the Premier League, and people would become England fans for that reason. Um, but it did really well on American television, which surprised me. Um, so this is a little disappointing. I mean, I think maybe so much of the women's game in this country has been different in the sense that the U.S. has been so successful that um, the international game has built, been built around U.S. success, whereas the international game at the men's level has been built around U.S. participation. 
and qualifying for tournaments rather than being successful in tournaments, mm -hmm. uh, other than the Gold Cup. So um, perhaps that's it. I'm disappointed by it, uh, but um, we'll see. I, I think uh, I think the World Cup 2019 in France is going to be massive, and uh, France will be the favorite. Uh, uh, here's an, another another thing, and I, this is uh, just an, an aside. There is always constant chatter to, you know, last night in the press box again in Tampa about the, sta the state of the U.S. women's team because I think a lot of us are expecting at some point some sort of humbling experience at the international stage. Uh, I don't know that the Olympics last year were it. Uh, and when we start talking about the next World Cup, could that be it in France? Now, if it is it, how does Fox, who is the rights holder, handle that if the U.S. is out in the quarterfinals, for instance? Um, so uh, a lot to think about, Rob. Thank you for, uh, for the comment. So, so a couple of things on this one, too, though, Kartik, is, is that some of the games will be on Univision, so our Univision deporters. So we've got the schedule um, at worldsoccertalk.com, and I know from the first week, I think there's two or three games, maybe even three, three or four games, going to be on Univision. So it's not completely off television, but from ESPN's perspective, um, I, I get where Rob's coming from. And uh, I don't think it's a foreshadowing. I think it's just it's one of those things that, um, that they're not expecting the TV numbers to be that great for this tournament in particular. Um, and then by putting it on ESPN3.com, uh, you make sure that everyone can access it if they have you mean, ESPN through their uh, cable or satellite provider, or you can get it streaming through Sling Orange. Um, so it's accessible, and then just let, let's see what those numbers are. And if those numbers are significant, maybe that gives um, ESPN an opportunity to go back to their bosses to say, hey, look at these numbers. Um, this is great potential here. We should do, I mean, upcoming games, more, more of them on television. But uh, having no U.S. women's national team involved, um, I'm sure, is, is a big factor on, on this one. So, listeners, if you do have any questions, feedback, or uh, you mean, basically you want to kind of disagree with us uh, on anything we've said or, or agree with us, feel free to contact us. We'd love to read out your questions and comments and feedback on air. You can reach us at web at worldsoccertalk.com or through Twitter at WSoccerTalk or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, our feature topic of the week, and uh, you and I have not had a chance to discuss this one. So you may agree with me, you may disagree with me, but I want to debate the virtues of the Gold Cup as a TV product. Now, uh, again, we haven't a chance to talk about this in terms of what you've seen and what I've seen, but so far I've been underwhelmed. I know that Panama... <laughs> it's an understatement for me, but go ahead. Okay, okay. I, mean, so I, I was just saying it in the press box last night, how this is maybe the... And okay, tournaments start slowly, Chris. I'm sorry to cut you off That's here, okay. This has been the worst international tournament I've watched at this point, which is why I didn't go through uh, the games I'd watched earlier in the week uh, in the Gold Cup. I just mentioned the USL game because it's been... It has been the worst international tournament to this point I've watched in probably 20 years. Wow. Okay, so we're on the same page then. So it's one of those things that I haven't heard much talk about it. I mean, kind of all the, I don't know, the MLS fanboys are talking about how great the Gold Cup is and isn't this wonderful, isn't that great? But, but to me, it's been a disappointment from the beginning. And the beginning was the first game, the opening game, and you had at Red Bull Arena, you had Canada playing, and there was less than 100 fans in attendance for the kickoff. And there was probably more people in, in the media box than there were in the stadium. Uh, and the way that CONCACAF has staged this tournament is with double headers. And most of the double headers to date, uh, the, the first game, there's been very, very few people in the stadium. And then by the second um, game, then it's, it's almost full or, or I mean, half full or at least three quarters full, depending on which place you're, you're looking at. Um, but I've been really disappointed, not just in the poor attendances uh, to almost all of those first games on, on each day, uh, but just even the level of competition. And, and to me, there's, there's many different uh, levels you can look at this. I mean, one example is what's the incentive to watch the entirety of a nil-nil draw between Honduras and French uh, Guiana when you know that the Guiana team has forfeited the match by starting an ineligible player, uh, Maluda. Why watch all, any of the games featuring Canada when there's less than you know, 100 fans in attendance for one of the games? Even the second game they played, which is in Houston, to the, the Canada-Costa Rica game, 
again, very little uh, numbers of people in the stadium. Why does that have an impact? Well, for me, as a TV viewer, it just doesn't make me want, doesn't feel compelling then to make me continue watching the game. If there's no one showing up for the stadium to watch the game, why should people be tuning in and, and continuing to watch this match? It does have an impact on the quality of the viewing experience because when there's no atmosphere on the pitch and you can hear the players talking back and forth, uh, giving instructions, it's, it's, I don't know, to me, it's, it's not absorbing. It's not, it's not exciting at, at all. Then you've got the poor performances by a U.S. team that's, I mean, you and I probably will disagree on this, but to me, it's, it, last night's team was a C team. Maybe it's a B team, but it's a B or C team. Uh, and the U.S. has been really uh, unappealing to watch also. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I mean, to me, the, World Cup, uh, the Gold Cup hasn't been an attractive uh, competition to watch on television. And it's a shame, Kartik, too, because, I mean, it's, the timing of it is unfortunate with uh, Mexico having played in the Confed Cup, um, having to split kind of their team, and they had... That's the thing that really messes it up, and World Cup qualifying. Yeah. Um, the Gold Cup, I, mean, I give Fox a lot of credit because they made a, uh, a commitment to broadcast all these games, and, and they started that in 2013. Previously, they would only show U.S. games uh, on Fox Soccer Channel, in fact. So you'd have to watch the rest of the tournament on Univision. So uh, kudos to Fox for that, but I think... What we're fighting with the Gold Cup is the year that it conflicts with World Cup qualifying, whether it was 2005 when teams were sent down watered-down squads, 2009, 2013, and 2017. Um, Now, uh, it is just not a compelling tournament in the years when World Cup qualifying is going on. Compound that with the fact that Caribbean qualifying this time yielded Martinique, um, Mm -hmm. French Guiana, and uh, someone else I'm forgetting that's... Uh, oh, in Curacao. Yeah. Uh, typically, you have Haiti, uh, who kind of draws big crowds in certain parts of the U.S., um, South Florida especially, or if they were to play in Orlando or Tampa. You typically have Cuba qualify for this tournament, which is always a curiosity to cover because of the potential defectors. And uh, you've had... Um, the, uh, some other Caribbean countries, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, who has a following in the U.S. and can draw crowds in certain places. None of those three countries qualified this time. Jamaica qualified as usual, which was good. But then you had Martinique, who's I, I watched them with last night. I think they're a pretty good team. Yeah. Uh, I see why they qualified. You have French Guiana, who qualified because they have a, a former world-class player. Obviously, he's long in the tooth now, but he's ineligible to play for them. Uh, we can have a debate about that because I don't. I think Maluda should be eligible to play for France. Uh, for excuse me, for French Guiana. He's not. He he's, his French national team career is done. They are a department of France. Um, he's not playing for another nation. He's playing for a department of France who's not a FIFA member in a CONCACAF competition. So to me, it's okay. Um, and I think it makes a country like French Guiana competitive. And to have a guy like Maluda represent his homeland within France makes football, uh, I think, uh, more compelling in, in a place where it's, 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 it hasn't uh, necessarily uh, gained the foothold it has in other places. Um, guys play for Catalonia and play for Spain. I don't see why Maluda can't play for French Guiana. But that's I, I know people will argue with me about that uh, technicalities, but I, I, I don't see the problem with it. I, but, I, you know, but they qualified, and that's a problem because right. there's no interest in them other than Maluda, who yeah. is not eligible to play. Out of all the games I've seen thus far, um, there haven't been many exciting games, or hardly any exciting games. The one that I would say that I enjoyed the, mo- the, the most was uh, Panama against uh, Nicaragua uh, from Tampa, the opening game. And that was actually pretty competitive between both sides. A lot yeah, of mis- I mean, I was chances. so disappointed with uh, being at the game. So disappointed in Panama. I mean, I, yeah. I, and I know I tweeted, and people follow me on Twitter, they are a team that consistently, um, on the big occasion, uh, falls flat. Uh, and I was I expected them maybe to win this tournament coming into it. In the first two games, they've shown me nothing. But, but, um, but for me, Nicaragua should have gotten a draw yesterday. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, Panama, it was just kind of an opportunity, a, a, a case of just missed opportunities. I mean, they created the chances; they just kept on missing chances right in front of goal. Uh, but, but that to me has been. But when there's not a single guy on the Nicaragua team who can get into the Panama squad, why should the yeah. game be competitive, yeah. right? Yeah. And they missed That's all true. those chances, and that was. Uh, it was shocking to me because I walked into the game yesterday expecting uh, a 4-0, 5-0 and said, OK, you know, this is just an appetizer. Martinique U.S. will be more competitive when it was equally competitive. But I maybe Nicaragua was playing over their head yesterday. But uh, mm-hmm. boy, I, Panama, 
this is our last Gold Cup they could have won. Now, obviously, there was the controversy with Mark Geiger, and maybe that's why they didn't win it because of the officiating. But then 2013, they should have won the Gold Cup. They got beat by the U.S. on kind of a fluke goal by Breck Shea, but they got beat. They didn't qualify for the World Cup when it was right there for them. Uh, there are 2011 also Gold Cup. I thought they were the best team in the group stage and then faded in the knockout stage. Um I don't know. I mean, I think that what we're seeing with Panama is it's a golden generation of players that just may not achieve anything. And that's another knock on CONCACAF. Because I yeah. think also to make these tournaments interesting for the viewer, for Fox, you've got to get a Panama or a Jamaica or a Costa Rica to win the Gold Cup. It's always the U.S. or Mexico at the end of the day. And um, it makes the tournament very predictable and a kind of a difficult TV property, honestly, if yeah. it's not competitive. Especially, especially this one. This one's been really weak. Um, in yeah. terms of solutions, so we are, we often will talk about issues, but we also kind of like to suggest solutions. One solution, from my perspective, could be that uh, you reduce the number of teams that compete in in uh, the latter stages of the tournament. So, right now, instead of having three group, groups of four teams, you could have four groups of three teams, and with the top team advancing from each group uh, to the semifinals. Uh, as it is right now, you have the top two teams going through to a quarterfinal stages and then to a semifinals and then all the way to the finals. Um, this way, I think in terms of having uh, three teams in each group, it makes each game more meaningful. Uh, there's more riding, uh, riding on each game and also would, would reduce the length of the tournament to make it more You know, it's funny. You and I have been following the sport for a long time and used to go to games uh, when the Gold Cup was almost exclusively shared between Miami and Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Yep. And that's what we used to have. That's how the tournament started was three three groups of, I'm um, sorry, four groups of three, uh, top team advances. That's it. Right. And, um, and I think they they lengthened that they made it four groups of, uh, three groups of four for TV, actually, to get an extra, to make it like a traditional tournament. Um, now, um, they made this change with the CONCACAF Champions League, though, where they went from um, however many uh, groups. Uh, oh, yeah, they were 24 down to 16 and then four groups of four. Now it's 24 with eight groups of three. And um, first place advances to the quarterfinals. Uh, and I think CONCACAF Champions League has been a better tournament since they did that because there's no margin for error in the group stage, and it's making the games compelling. Basically, in the old... Uh, uh, format, you knew the MLS and MX, League MX teams were advancing, and that would be seven of your eight teams, and then you'd probably get like a team from Costa Rica or a team from uh, Honduras as the eighth team. Um, and uh, and occasionally there was a NASL team, Puerto Rico Islanders, in those days that advanced. But um, that's it. Now it's it's really competitive. If you're in a group, there have been groups now where there has been a Mexican team and a US, an American team, or uh, two MLS teams were in a group together because one was representing Canada, and only one gets out. Yeah. Um, so CONCACAF has done that at the club level. Maybe they do that. That's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about reversing and going back to that, but uh, yeah, that might solve it. You probably convinced me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push back on this one. Yeah, because right now, I mean, it's, it seems just that each team is coasting. I mean, they're coasting through this tournament, knowing that okay, top two go up, and it'll probably come down to the last game, and and they can probably go through with I me. Mean, U.S. could go through, I'm sure, with a draw. I mean, other teams could look at it and go, okay, well, let's just get to the final match and then just let's, let's go for it. Versus this idea, which would have every single game having to be kind of a must-win, uh, at least kind of from the onset. Uh, and, and that should create more competition. It should make teams uh, more passionate. It should make the games more exciting for television. And maybe even more fans would show up too, rather than just these... These kind of it's dragged out, it seems. Yeah, I think Panama U.S. is a classic example of that. Uh, normally, you'd want that game to be third. Yeah. It ended up being first, and both teams felt like, at least on paper, they would be the two to get out, and they played like it. Um, now, maybe it's just the way both teams are in this tournament, because the second game, neither team was ever much better. I think the U.S. was slightly better than they were. Martinique raised their level uh, to, to compete with them, but Panama it was bad in the second game. Um yeah, and then I think there's also um, the, the general issue of making um, the tournament fit, right, in, in a time, time window because European club um, commitments, et cetera. The other thing I, I think that the uh, tournament has done, and they started in 2009 because the U.S. had the issue of the Confederations Cup and now Mexico in 2013, uh, 2017, is this idea of swapping out six, six players if you, if you um, 
advanced auto knockout stages. I don't like that rule at all. Um, I've always felt like um, tournaments are harsh. On if you take 23 to a tournament and a guy gets hurt uh, after the rosters are frozen, let's say in the first game, like Josie Altador did for the U.S. Uh, in 2014 World Cup, or a guy gets uh, injured training leading up to the first game that he can't be replaced, um, or even training for the second game. But I don't like the idea of being able to really swap out your roster, a big chunk of your roster, after the group stage of a tournament. Um, and the idea that you have to, you can name a 40-man provisional roster and then you just pick from that. Um, so if you make this change to the three-team group, I think you get rid of that rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully too. Hopefully the tournament. I mean, I will continue watching the tournament. Um, I'm enjoying it, but not not uh, not incredibly excited by any means. Uh, I'll keep on watching it, and hopefully maybe the quarterfinals and the semifinals will start uh, heating up a little bit more, and it'll get better and better. So, Kartik, uh, where, where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737 or send me a friend request on Facebook uh, at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, you can read my writing, etc., a bunch of other places. Okay, thanks for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday or Friday. Uh, every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.